You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 156, Caroline Abbott and Coming Home to the Lord. Well, hey, my friends, welcome to another episode of Halfway There. I'm your host, Eric Nevins. This is the show, of course, that where we uh, have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. It always makes me laugh. Just a little bit. I've said that at least 156 times, probably more. And every once in a while, I still struggle to remember where to start. That's funny. All right, guys, thank you for being here. I'm so glad that you've downloaded and you're uh, listening. This is an interesting conversation, uh, but it does deal with a tough topic of domestic violence. And so I want you to be aware of that as we as we get there. I'll tell you about that conversation in just a minute. Um, I also wanted to let you know about uh, some of the things that I offer. Every once in a while, we'll have someone who will talk about uh, spiritual practices, and that's because I'm into spiritual practices. I think the practices that you use to interact with the Lord matter a great deal, and uh, you can actually go beyond Bible study and prayer. In fact, you can do both together in some things. So one of my goals is to offer you some tools that help with those kinds of things. Cause here's the reality at certain points doing the deep inductive Bible studies is really helpful. And then at other points you need something a little bit different. You need some help to just meditate on a scripture that, um, and, and let the Lord speak to you through it. And so that's why I created eight day experience. Um, there's two of them out there. The first one is about Mark 1, 40 through 45. Um, really was sort of life-changing for me, just meditating on that passage. And I would love to have you um, pick it up. So uh, there's a link in the show notes at halfwaythereapodcast.com, or if you go there, just click at the top on eight-day experience. It'll take you there as well. They're inexpensive. It's only $8 or less. And so it'll just walk you through eight days of meditating on God's word. Um, if that's something you're looking for, maybe it's, you know, it's that late in the year, uh, all that uh, enthusiasm you had at the beginning of the year is gone for Bible reading. Um, maybe you need something else. And so maybe this will help. All right. That's what I've got for you. Uh, let's, let's get into the conversation, shall we? This is a conversation. Like I mentioned, our guest is an author. She's a domestic violence advocate and a counselor, and how she got into counseling is directly related to her story going through uh, domestic violence. We talk a lot about the church, and um, not because we don't care about the church, we, or because we think the church is always wrong, but because we want us to see some redemptive approaches to things like domestic violence, to abusive relationships. And uh, we, we talk about some of those things as well. So our guest is Caroline Abbott. And here's that conversation with her. Caroline, welcome to Halfway There. Thanks so much for having me. Tell us just a little bit about, I give kind of that broad, the broad strokes of your story. You're an author, a domestic violence advocate, and a counselor. But tell us what that means you you are, you're doing now, and where God has you. Okay. Um, so I was in an abusive marriage for about 20 years. And when I was getting ready to leave that marriage, I was not supported well by the church. Um, 
I was told, you know, God hates divorce and all this other junk. Um, and finally, just had to do what I felt God was leading me to do, which was to finally get a restraining order and have him kicked out. And after that, um, I had a lot of bad repercussions from the church. And I realized that I was not the only person that was experiencing that. Um, there were a lot of other people who were told the same kind of things and who were not supported well. And so because of that, I decided to start writing a book which tells my story, but also kind of walks people through things that might happen to them. And in order to write that book, I decided to get, you know, educated about domestic violence. So I became a domestic violence advocate in order to just be really wise about advice I was giving and things like that. So, um, so that started my journey. And then as that went on, you know, many years, I started blogging and writing and doing lots of things. And lots of people wanted me to counsel them, but I didn't really know how. So I decided to actually become a counselor. So I'm finishing up my um, counseling degree at Denver Seminary right now and um, have my own little counseling practice. So it just kind of snowballed. The Lord just kept leading me, you know, in one direction or another. And here I am. Wow. Okay. That's perfect. So yeah, Denver Seminary gets represented well on this show because yeah. not only do I either talk to people who have gone or are going there, but uh, I went there and I have Laura, Laura Flanders was on the show, Dr. Gertheis. And so, uh, right. yeah, I love that. Um, okay. So I want to talk more about that and let's go through, cause there's so many issues and we can talk about even some of the roots of where the lack of support in the church go. I'd love to love to dig into that a little bit. Okay. Um, but certainly mostly we want to focus on your story. So let's go back and then we'll kind of make our way back here. So uh, did you so where did you grow up and what was that spiritual climate like? Okay, I grew up. I was born in North Carolina and my parents and grandparents at that time were going to church. My grandparents were very strong Christians. Um, my parents, however, got divorced when I was very young, like about four. And after that, I was raised by my mom and stepdad who were not believers at that time. Um, so even though I kind of had a very young foundation in the church, um, that kind of disappeared for me as I, as I was growing up. But I missed it. Like there was something in me that was unhappy every Sunday. And I realized now that I wanted to be in, you know, with the Lord and with the Lord's people. But I didn't know enough to figure that out at the time. Um, I did, however, have a close friend when I was a teen who was a Christian and started going to her church with her. And when I went um to get baptized. I didn't tell my parents about it because I kind of felt like they wouldn't be supportive of the idea. And when they found out, they were actually furious. Oh, wow. That yeah. Furious because they didn't get to come or furious because you actually had made this choice? I, I feel like it was because I did it behind their back. Yeah. Um, and they actually punished me and made me never go back to that church again. Wow. Yeah, it was... 
looking back, that was really not the best parenting choice. (laughs) (laughs) And I feel like my mom has even said that over the years, you know, I'm really sorry we didn't support you more and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, So when you, when you, you said mentioned when you got baptized, but when you were, so you, it was your friend. You kind of your friend drew you into this church, and kind of. But how did you make the choice, the personal choice to? Right. Well, I when I so a couple years previous to that, I just started reading the Bible on my own. I had this little prayer corner that I had like a little picture of Jesus, and <laughs> so something in me wanted to know the Lord and always loved him, but just wasn't being supported and didn't really know what I was doing. Yeah. Um, so, so I think maybe seeds were planted by my grandparents when I was really young. Mm. Um, but I always wanted to know the Lord and always kind of felt the lack of him in my life. So, so when I started going to church, um, you know, really within three weeks, I was like, yes, I mean, I'm in, like, I want to do this. Gotcha. <laughs> so it was just something that was waiting, I guess you'd say. Yeah. It was something, so it was sort of dormant maybe or kind of latent in you. Right. And uh, so when you f- found a church, then you were like, yes, I'm in. Yes, exactly. Until you couldn't go back. Right, right. So what happened after that? Because that has some consequences. It did have consequences. Um so as I said, like my parents put me on restriction for a week and, you know, refused to allow me to go back. And sadly, because of that, I made the choice to just kind of ignore the Lord um, because it didn't seem like that was going to work for me in my yeah. circumstances. Um, so I kind of turned my back on him really for many years, um, finished high school, went to college, sowed many wild oats, um, (laughs) married an unbeliever pretty early on. And, um, yeah, when I, after I got married, I started going to church, um, because I figured, well, by now I'm an adult, I'm married, I can do whatever I want. So I went to church by myself for about 10 years, but I didn't fully grasp, like, I guess, I don't know. I understood intellectually the Lord and I, you know, could read the Bible and all that, but I, it didn't feel like personal to me, I guess. Um, until I was in my mid thirties and I started doing a Bible study. Um, a friend of mine at the church I was going to invited me to a study that she was going to be leading. And within about six weeks, it was like a light clicked on for me and I, finally kind of grasped what I had been missing all these years. Um, Which was what? The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit in my life. Um, Like I, in those 10 years that I was going to church, would read the Bible, but I would fall asleep usually. Um, And I loved being in church and I had lots of church friends, but I just didn't feel connected, I guess, to the Lord. Um, so when I started this Bible study, it just finally clicked for me and I felt God's presence. I was able to read the Bible then without falling asleep. And it was really speaking to me. Um, and at that time, my marriage started going south very badly, very quickly. And I really leaned on the Lord during that time. Yeah. So you kind of, you had the Lord when you needed him. Yes. And so it sounds like like you had this time when uh, 
you were kind of you enjoyed the community of the church. You were in the in the community, but not necessarily didn't feel part of it. Right. I mean, you know, I was I was part of it as as far as like just being friends, you know, yeah. with the people. But I did. I realized there was something missing in my heart. I guess you'd say. Yeah. And yeah. That, was there a moment when that happened or was it just sort of like a, it didn't have to be, but it, like, I'm just curious. I like to go into that as, as far as we can. Right. Um, you know, I started doing this Bible study. I, it was like specifically for women. And I think just within six weeks, it was like, Oh, I don't remember like a crystallized moment. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I do remember just like, oh, okay, this is what I've been missing. I just didn't fully grasp. I didn't understand. Um, so I can't remember an exact moment, but it was very shortly into this Bible. Yeah, statement. yeah, interesting. I was just wondering if it was like a, a moment of surrender or a, you know, or like a. But it was just kind of a dawning. Sounds like it just dawned on you. Yes, it was more like a dawning. It, it wasn't really. I don't feel like I ever really like consciously turned my back. It was more like, well, this isn't working for me. And so I guess this isn't going to be part of my life. I just kind of like a, a surrender to the sadness of not having him in my life, if that makes sense. Oh yeah. Um, and so then it was more like a coming home. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I get that. Okay. So you were like going, so you accepted, okay, I guess God's not going to be part of my life when your mom punishes you. Right. And then this was a realization that God is part of my life. He can, right. he can be here. Oh, he nice. He wants me and, and I can really know him and be in touch with him. And yeah, he's there. Okay. So it was more like that. It undid the belief that you had accepted before. Yes, exactly. Interesting. Okay, great. So... But you said also at that time, then your marriage was starting to get very difficult and bad. Right. And so yeah. take it, take us into that. And then I'm sure that has spiritual effects as well. Yes, it does. Um, so when I became a Christian, I took on the idea that I should submit to my husband. That was never something that I had, you know, even thought of before. Yeah. Um, and that actually had a bad um, effect because if you know much about people that abuse, what they want is power and control. And when I let him know that I was going to be submitting to him, then it gave him sort of carte blanche to do whatever he wanted Yeah, because I wasn't going to fight back and I wasn't going to, you know, I was just going to allow it, basically. And really, I did do that. Um, the first thing that happened was we moved away from our family, we moved away from our friends, our family across country um, to a place where we knew no one. And this is also something abusers will do. They'll isolate you from your friends and family, your support system, so that you don't have anyone to turn to when things go bad. Um, so, right. Do, do they do that? Sorry, do they do that consciously, or is that just a hard I to tell? No, it's hard to know if some of this is conscious or not. I couldn't really say. Yeah. Um, in our case, moving to this place was one of the things that we had talked about over the years because it would help him move up in his company. Um, 
And I had never wanted to do that before because I didn't want to leave my family and it was not a desirable place to live. Yeah. <laughs> um, but at, when I decided then I would be able to submit to him, then that was the first thing that happened. So he was like, okay, well now, now she's going to, you know, come along with me and, you know, let me move up in my company, blah, blah, blah. So we did, we moved across country um, and things did get quite a bit worse pretty quickly after that. Um, he would start, his favorite thing was to not speak to me um, if he was mad. So if I did, did something he didn't like or didn't do something he wanted me to do, he would just pretend I didn't exist. Mm. Um, and he would do that for a few days at a time. And I would usually like get angry and yell and, and that would please him because now he had power and control over me. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he liked it. He liked it when I did that. Um, so that's kind of how we were for the couple years we were living in this other area. Um, and then we decided to move here to Denver. Um, things got even worse at that point. Um, as far as, you know, just the isolation and the um, not speaking to me and, you know, raging and things like that. So um, for me, I felt God's presence in all of that. A lot of people kind of turn away from the Lord when that happens. For me, I drew closer to the Lord um, because he was my main solace in all of that. Um, I did start to have a mentor at my church who had been through something similar and she kind of encouraged me to keep submitting and behaving, mm. you know, well, but, and I put that in quotes because yeah. now that I know what I know, what a person really should do is kind of stand up to that behavior, but that wasn't what I thought I should do. Yeah. Basically. So I just, you know, became more and more and more controlled by this person, by my husband and, um, you know, kind of following the advice of my mentor. And, and she, you know, really did mean well, but she just didn't really understand the dynamics of that. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, go ahead. Well, so let's talk for just a minute about the whole idea of submission and this problem, because I think uh, if nothing else, your, I mean, your story brings that up. So we, let's, let's just discuss that. So first of all, why do we, where do we get that idea? And then like, how should, how does that work out in a healthy way? Okay. Well, so the idea comes from Ephesians five, Ephesians chapter five. And I think it's verse 21 says we should submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Um, and if you read the entire passage from 21 down to the end, which I think is verse 35, it talks about mutual submission. It talks yeah. about the wife, you know, allowing the husband to be the leader, but the husband to love the wife like Christ loved the church. Um, and usually that second half is kind of ignored <laughs> in a lot of places, not talked about, um, an abuser will focus on, you know, what the wife should do and never even consider, you know, his part, you know, his part. So the healthy idea is that the husband loves his wife. He gives himself up for her. He loves her like his own body. Um, and because of that, she can then safely 
and, you know, lovingly kind of respond to that care that he's giving her. And that's the idea. Um, it's very badly twisted sometimes by abusive people and even by even people in the church don't fully grasp it. I think there are people, yeah. So I think that theology, because we have this whole thing, the biblical manhood and womanhood thing, um, and there are people who I think are well-intentioned. But my my view on that is that they tend to miss a lot of what is actually happening. So I want to talk about for just a second, I've been talking about this a little bit lately. Um, so if I mentioned on the show, sorry guys, but this, uh, this passage in Ephesians 5 is actually... Uh, kind of astounding because one thing that happens in it in the Greek, this totally changed my mind. Like I was totally complementarian, which is the sort of like men and women roles and that whole thing. And I switched to being egalitarian because of this, because I felt like I'd been lied to and I'll tell you why. Ready? So they, so we read this husband or wives submit to your, yourselves to your husbands. Guess which word in that sentence does not appear in the Greek. Oh goodness. Don't tell me submit. Is submit. Worse. The word submit does not appear. In Greek, in that sentence, what happens? And so this is where you were talking about the mutual submission. So what happens is that verse, the verse before you write verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives to your husbands. Husbands love your wives. Children submit to your parents. Slaves obey your masters. Those are examples of what it's like to submit to one another. So it's not a hard and fast rule. It's not trying to, the, the passage isn't trying to set up a law. The passage is saying, submit to one another. And here's the examples. Oh, wow. Isn't that interesting? And so That's when I, very interesting. <laughs> yeah, right. The word doesn't even show up there and we're going to make a whole like theology out of it. Shut up. <laughs> Shut up. It's not okay. It's not okay. You're misusing scripture. And so that, like that actually, like I get a little fired up about it because it's, it just, it's we not use scripture well. I get it. There's these ideas, but that to me, that passage there, when you realize submit's not there. Wow. Oh, that that turned on some light bulbs. That's really amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm a blogger, and I've written lots of blogs about that. You know, idea. I think I'll be writing another one about that. <laughs> there you go. Well, go study it. But let, definitely, right? It's it's fascinates yes. me. So having said that, this idea of mutual submission to one another, it might look different in depending on your role as a husband or as a wife or as a child or a worker, whatever it is. But that's the rule. Love is the rule of the Christian life. And so obviously abusive people who take this and take it, take it to a abusive level aren't doing that. That's correct. And that's what you were experiencing. And the hard part is the church reinforces it. Because they think they're just obeying scripture. Right, right. Yes, um, the church that you and I are in now, I feel like doesn't do that. No, I agree. I think our pastor has done an amazing job um, making some of these things more clear and realizing that, like you say, love is the key there, not power. You know, not, you you need to do blah, 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 blah. Um, but I fear like a lot of churches and people that I work with all across the country and all across the world actually, um, have had this really idea stuffed down their face, um, by their pastors, by their churches. So it's definitely something that needs to be more 
um, fleshed out and have people really grasp what the idea behind all of that was. So thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, you're welcome. Well, I wanted to share with you, I wanted to share with our friends and it, uh, but it matters to me so much because we've got to, we've got to care what actually is happening in scripture. And so you'll see a lot of translations, like the newest version of the NIV, for instance, grabs that verse and puts it into the section, uh, uh, on the instructions for Christian households, they'll title it now. And they'll okay. they'll put that there, and that's the reason they do it because it actually is dependent grammatically. So, okay. anyway, cool. yeah, interesting. So, so there's that. Okay, so I wanted to at least talk about the the church and kind of how we some we gotta be careful with how we interpret scripture and how we apply it to ourselves. Yes, always having that view of love. Okay, so you're going through this this whole thing. You said you're drawing strength from the Lord. What did that look like, and how was that kind of experience for you? Well, I was, thankfully, the Lord put me in a really great place at that time. I was doing community Bible study. Um, I was a leader there for about 14 years, and the women that surrounded me really knew the Bible, really loved the Lord, were very supportive of me, Um really loved me and cared for me. So that helped me quite a bit. A lot of times people will be totally isolated in the sense that they're Mm. really kept away from anyone. Um, I didn't have that luckily. Um, So I was in this situation where I was studying the Bible every week. Um, I was, you know, serving the Lord in that way and um, was surrounded by really godly kind women. So I feel like that helped me immensely um, in that situation. If I had not been in that, you know, kind of place, I would probably have really suffered way more. Um, so, so I was studying the Bible. I was praying every day. Um, I was journaling. So I was doing a lot of the disciplines that people talk about that really help. Um, and they really did help me and I really did feel close to the Lord. There were times where I would just, you know, be in tears and crying and, and he, I felt like he was there with me, if that mm. makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, which is good. So it sounds like you had a good base, at least of some community and then also some good practices to kind of manage yourself. So, but eventually this breaks down. And so how did that happen? Well, um, so the abuse got worse. It began to be physical abuse. Previously had only been emotional. Um, and I don't say only. <laughs> I yeah. Say because o- emotional abuse can be terrible. It can, I mean, I've known women who have tried to kill themselves because of it. Wow. Um, yeah. So you're not minimizing it. You're just saying that's we don't want to, we don't want to all it was. Yeah. Um, So, but in addition to the emotional abuse that I was having, he also became physically abusive. And that's when I turned to my, one of my pastors at my church, not the church I'm going to now, but another church in the area um, for support. And sadly, um, there were kind of two lead pastors, the one that I went to see and the other one both really didn't have any understanding of what abuse was. Mm. Um, they felt like, well, I'm not getting beaten, 
you know, regularly. So, you know, I should just submit and things would be better. <laughs> um, and they said, and they suggested we do marriage counseling together, which we did try. As I became a domestic violence advocate, I found out you should never do that. <laughs> you should never go for joint counseling with an abuser because it puts the victim at risk. Um, but at the time, did not know that. So we tried to follow, you know, what our pastors recommended. Um, and, it, and it really did make my life worse. Um, because wow. when a victim goes and tells the counselor what's happening, she's basically outing him. <laughs> you know, because he wants to, he wants his um, behaviors to be kept secret. You know, he doesn't want anyone to know what he's doing. So he would be very violently angry with me for telling what was going on. So it actually put me in more danger to do that, um, which is why they say not to. But we tried it. It did not work. Um, <laughs> and so really for a year from the time that I spoke to my pastor until the time I decided to get a restraining order, um, the pastors kind of tried to keep tabs on kind of what was going on there, but he would lie mm. um, and he would threaten me not to tell what was going on. So I didn't fully tell the full truth either. So they didn't really have a full grasp of what was going on there, um, even though they sort of knew something bad was happening. Um, so we, we went along. Finally, our counselor actually fired us, believe it or not. Wow. Um, he said... That's hard. Yeah, it was harsh. <laughs> so, we, so sometimes we would meet together with him, sometimes individually, each one. And apparently, my ex-husband was, was raging at the counselor ah. um, for many weeks in a row. Um, he was raging at him that he... The counselor should tell me to go to my pastors and tell them that I had lied about what went on. So he's concerned was, about his reputation. Right. I didn't lie, but he wanted me to tell them that I had lied and to take it all back so that his reputation could re remain. Um, and so when I refused to do that, he was furious with me. And he was also furious with the counselor because the counselor wouldn't tell me to do that. Um, so finally the counselor said, you know, this isn't working. Like I'm not helping you guys. Um, I can't see you anymore. Now as a counselor, now I know you never fire someone <laughs> unless you give them other resources. You know, you give them three other names of people that they can go see. This guy didn't do that. So he really didn't handle it well. Wow. Um, and I felt like my pastors had let me down. I felt like this counselor had let me down. Obviously, my husband was letting me down. Um, so I was really not in a great place at that yeah. point. W would you call that a dark night of the soul? <laughs> um, not really. I think I was just more pissed. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest. I was like, a dark oh, anger of the soul. You know, I'm trying to. I'm trying to like survive here. I was trying to hold my marriage together. Didn't want my kids to be from divorce. Um, and really everyone I turned to was not helpful. Yeah. So um, finally, I and so in that entire year, besides being raged at, my husband did not speak to me for a year. Wow. Yeah. So I was, you know, 
sleeping in the same bed with him, making his food, washing his clothes, taking care of his kids. Looking back, I go, why on earth did I continue doing all those things? Yeah. <laughs> I should not have done that. But, um, but I was trying to be the good wife, the good Christian wife. Um, so mm. I was continuing to do all the things, and he was not speaking to me and raging at me. Um, so he would, in order to speak to me, email me. So I received an email from him telling me that he wanted me to tell our children he had never abused me. That was the straw that broke the camel's back. Wow, yeah. <laughs> um, I was like, um, no, not going to do that. So I started like researching what was abuse. Um, got online, wow. started you know, looking at things, started reading books that I found. Um, and I just couldn't get, I just wanted like a one sentence definition. Um, and I couldn't really find that. So I finally called the National Domestic Violence Hotline and described what was going on. And the woman said, you're being abused and it's getting worse. It's escalating. That's what they call it. Um, so why don't you read this book? It was called The Verbally Abusive Relationship by Patricia Evans. Probably saved my life. Um, so I got the book and read it in three days and um, realized, yes, I was being abused and it was getting worse and worse and worse. Generally, abuse will get worse, never better. Um, and so then I decided to go see um, the Denver Safe House, go to a counselor there, talked with them about what was going on. Um, and I told them, you know, I don't think my my church friends are going to like accept this or, you know, accept me or whatever. And, and they said, if they knew what was happening, would they still want you to live like that? <laughs> Which was such a great question. <laughs> and I was like, no, that, yeah, people don't know what's happening. That's why, you know, I would not be getting the support that I need. Right. Um, right. So it's not just that there's something wrong with you. Right. The people don't know what's happening. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so within six weeks, I had found a lawyer. I had found a domestic violence um, counselor. That was her focus. Um, and I had set up to get a restraining order um, and had him served and he was gone. And that was that. <laughs> Um, but it took me really, there was a good 10 years of abuse. Wow. Um, and really a whole year of, like I said, raging and isolation and not speaking to me at all, all of that, um, for, you know, a full year. So even though that seemed to happen quickly, it was actually many, many years in the making. Yeah. Um, years where I realized he was really not going to change, had no interest in changing. And it was only going to get worse. And when I finally fully grasped that, I was able to break, break ties. Yeah. Okay. Where was God in all this for you? So, because <laughs> obviously like going through all that and being angry at your pastors and feeling like the church doesn't know. So how did, how did you see God or how was he kind of? Yeah. Um, I did. I was upset because I felt like the Lord could change my husband if he wanted to, mm. which I do believe he can do. 
but you know, now looking at it, you know, years later, um, he doesn't usually force us to do things against our will. Yeah. And it was definitely my husband's will to behave this way. Um, and you know, God doesn't like zap us with lightning and make, make us change our behaviors and our way of being. That's just not how he works. Um, so I was angry from that perspective with the Lord, but I, at the same time, somehow kind of knew, you know, that isn't how he works mm. and he hasn't abandoned me. You know, the people around me may have abandoned me, but my Lord hasn't. Yeah. Um, so I would kind of like listen to Christian music all day long. I would read the Bible. I would journal. I just, I still felt very close to him. Um, I was upset that he didn't fix it, um, for me, but that's a hard, that's a hard thing to kind of live with for a while. Yeah. Um, like I say, now I realize, you know, that isn't how God works. And, and I think I sort of knew that then. So that's just kind of how I, how I rolled. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So after the marriage ended, Mm -hmm. what did you do then? So then you, uh, you, I I don't know how long ago this was. So when did you end up? Yeah, this was 14 years ago. Okay. Um, so the part, the part that's interesting that I'll share real quickly um, is how the church reacted when I got the restraining order. He called them and said, she kicked me out of the house. And like she, he's the victim. Right. She has a non-Christian lawyer and blah, blah, blah. And so my pastor that I had gone to a year before called me and said, you know, God hates divorce. Wow. And... Mm. Um, a Christian shouldn't take a non-Christian to court. Um, <laughs> and of course, now that I've been to seminary and that I've studied all of this, I know, you know, the God hates divorce line comes from some versions of the Bible in Malachi 2.16. And if you read Malachi 2, what he hated was the men treating their wives badly. Right. Um, but, you know, the God hates divorce is what people pull out of that. Talk about, you know, using things out yeah. of context. It's the Twitter version of that chapter. And exactly. it's not, uh, yeah. It's, right. Um, I was really furious when he pulled that. I bet. <laughs> and also, the one about not taking a Christian to court, also taken out of context. What Paul was talking about there was back in those days, the people would take each other to court over very tribu- trivial matters. Um, just to kind of like increase their esteem in the community. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what Paul was saying they shouldn't do. Um, And he even says, you should rather be cheated than to, um, you know, take another Christian to court and like make Christ look bad, basically. Yeah, embarrass the church. Yeah, that was the idea. That was not the same situation at all of what I was experiencing. Right. Um, So those two verses were really taken out of context, Mm. were really used against me, and it made me furious. Um, At the time, I said, you know, um, you've known what's going on here for a year, and you did not step in. Um, You did not hold him accountable in any way. So I'm going to hang up now before I say something I'm going to regret. Wow. (laughs) Um, So 
So that's kind of how that happened. And I was, you know, real pissed at them. Um, but, you know, looking back to you, I realized they really had no idea what they were working with here. They didn't understand. And sadly, I don't think they wanted to understand or made an effort to you. Um, but, you know, a lot of that was done out of ignorance, not out of malice. Right. But so our friend Jeff Brodsky, you know, Jeff says awareness without action is apathy. Right. Exactly. And that's not that's not that's, untrue. Yeah, yeah. That's, what, that's what I had there. So yeah. anyway. Wow. So, so OK, I want to go back to you. But so what what kind of things like. What kind of things should the church have said? Or should, so I'm thinking of all of our friends, right, who are pastors and leaders or elders or or just people in their church who have friends. Right. What kind of things should they look for? And then what kind of actions can they take that would be positive instead of just instead of piling up, you know, or just like not knowing what to do? Because not knowing what to do will is a problem. So how how can we help them? Okay. Well, so I've actually created things to help people with this. Perfect. Um, I have um, something called a domestic violence guide for churches. It's designed for church leaders. It describes abuse. It describes what the Bible actually says about it and gives a whole specific list about what they should, what they should do, what they can put in place. Um, so there's that. And then both of my books are written from a Christian perspective. So they could read either of those as well. Um, but um, I'll give you a shorter version. So basically, the short version is they should first become educated about what domestic violence is. Um, so whether it's reading my book or reading someone else's book, I don't care. Um, there's lots of information. There's information out online um, that people can get. Right. So be- become educated Begin to understand that it is about power and control and also understand that the abuser usually looks really good in public. Um, The abuser usually looks like the one that's got it all together, Mm -hmm. who is the good Christian. I'm putting that in quotes. Right. (laughs) Um, Who's the good Christian. And the abusee, you know, the victim is the one that, you know, is like in is depressed, is acting erratically, is, you know, anxious, is, you know, maybe not looking like the best Christian in the wide world. Um, And once you realize that, it gives a different spin to what's going on there. Because if you're just looking at the outside, it looks like the abuser is the one that's in the right. And a lot of people do side with the abusers because of that. Um, they're real good manipulators and they are really good liars. So they will pretend that they have it all together and that it's all good. Um, so once you realize that, if you can come alongside, I know it gets confusing because, you know, he'll say he's the victim. She'll say she's the victim. It's hard to know. Um, but if you listen to each of them carefully, it'll become more clear once you understand what the, what the dynamics are. Um, so, so things that can be helpful are, um, not telling someone not to divorce. Yeah. (laughs) Number number two, you know, offering to help pay for counseling for people. Yes. And not counseling together, you know, counseling individually. If it can be discerned really who the abuser is, 
then that abuser should be held accountable for their behavior. Um, so accountability partners, I often recommend that people do a nine-month course um, for batterers. Um, and this is usually group therapy, and the people that run these groups cannot have the wool pulled over their eyes. They totally see through it. They see this every day, day in and out, and they really hold the people accountable. Um, also, you know, help help with you know lawyer fees if need be. Um, so yeah. basically, the victim needs to be supported in what she thinks is best for her. And I use she, it can be the other way around. Um, it, it can be a woman abusing a man. That's when it gets tricky. Yeah. Um, well, it, so it sounds like there's a lot of discernment that needs to. There's a lot of discernment, a lot of care. It, it, it shouldn't just be a knee jerk reaction. Yeah. You know, spend time with both of them. If you, ask them both to have accountability partners in the church, it becomes real clear real quickly who is willing to do work and who isn't. Yeah. The person that is not willing to do the work is usually the abuser. Um, so, so it might require a little bit of messiness and ickiness. Um, it's not going to be a fast, you know, well, we'll, we'll just throw a couple Bible verses at it and it's going to be all better. <laughs> Right, it's which not, is what we like to do, as as if that like has all the power. It's easy, but it doesn't work. W- right, when really that's not what God did at all. That's right. God was willing to be born as a baby, which is a messy process. Yes. Live with humanity. I've been on this kick lately. Anybody who says that God can't stand sin doesn't understand Jesus, right? Because <laughs> Jesus came and pitched a tent with sinners. So. That's, uh, that is it. But, but we have to do the same. We have to be willing to get messy. We have to be willing to, to be in it. Uh, it is hard. And I know I've struggled with that in the, in the past, even in leadership positions, it's hard to be in the middle of it and kind of take on that burden because it is an emotional burden, but it is what we're called to do. Yes, I agree. Yeah. So that's kind of, that's kind of my idea of that. I love it. That's great. Okay. So I put links to, all of those things um, in the show notes, uh, the Domestic Violence Guide for Churches, uh, which is on your website, and then uh, Amazon links for both of your books. But catch us up. So bring us up to where you are today, the decision to go to seminary and get, get a counseling degree. That's a big deal. And uh, all that. So, um, so the first thing I started doing, like I said, was writing this first book, um, A Journey Through Emotional Abuse. And I went for like a six to eight week course, maybe it was a 12 week course. I think it was a 12 week course at a nearby domestic violence um, crisis center. And so I became a domestic violence advocate and became um, the advocate for the church that I was going to, not the one that I had been in before, but a different one. Um, so I started doing that and I started in order to, you know, let people know about your book, you have to have a platform, you know, right. Um, you have to have a platform. So my platform became Facebook page, blog, all this. So I've been blogging and doing the Facebook for probably, gosh, seven and a half years, I guess. Um, so that, you know, people even know you exist and the book is there. Um, so I started doing that and then people started like Facebook messaging me from all over the world, literally. 
Wow. Um, you know, India, Africa, um, Europe, Australia, <laughs> um, asking for my help. And I would help them as best I could, but I realized that I didn't really have the counseling skills that I would really like to have. Yeah. To really help these people. I could be an ad, a domestic violence advocate, but I couldn't really help them with like, why do they pick a person like this? And, you know, what do they do with their depression and their anxiety and all the other things that they, that go along with this. Um, and at the time, in the meantime, I also remarried. Um, great, great guy. We've been married almost 11 years. He's amazing. I like him a lot. We have coffee once in a while. Yes. Um, he started going to the seminary to be a counselor. Um, and I love to write. Of course, I've written two books. Um, love to write. Love to study. I was like, that sounds like so much fun. And he goes, really? That sounds like fun to you? <laughs> <laughs> what are you, crazy? Yeah, he doesn't really enjoy the writing part like I do. But so he was already going. And I thought, you know, I could go too. We could do some classes together. This would be really cool. So that's why I ended up there. Um, and we did take some classes together and it really was really fun. He just graduated. I have one more year to go. Um, but that's why I ended up um, wanting to be a counselor so that I could help people better. So I could really be more knowledgeable and really help. So that was the main reason. Yeah. And then you see yourself setting up a practice. So you already kind of have a practice, right? But you guys... Yes, my husband and I together have a have our own private practice, um, and most of my clients have either are either currently being abused, have gotten out of an abusive relationship, or were abused as children. Um, so, and then my husband takes different kind of clients, but um, it is very fulfilling and rewarding work for me. Um, I call it making beauty out of ashes. Yeah, um, because. I've been able to take something that was very dark and ugly in my life and really with between my books and my counseling practice, really help others, you know, come out of that situation, realize their worth, realize how much the Lord loves them. And it's, it's just a beautiful thing to be able to turn something that's really dark into something really lovely. Wow. Yeah, that is beautiful. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Well, thank you so much for sharing that with us. I appreciate you being here on Halfway There, Caroline. So uh, people can find you, though. They can find you at your website, which is carolineabbott.com. I've got links to that in the in the uh, show notes at halfwaytherepodcast.com. So you guys can find that as always, as well as, like we said, links to your books and to connect with you on Facebook and uh, the book by Patricia Evans that you read as well. So that's yeah. It's all there. Anything you want to leave us with? If anyone finds himself in that situation um, to not turn their back on the Lord, he loves you and wants to be there for you. He may not fix it. He may not do what you're hoping he'll do, but he will never leave you or forsake you. And I think finding healthy Christians to be around is the best thing that you can do. Oh. Holding on to the Lord and finding healthy Christians. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Have a great day. Thank you. <laughs>